Welcome to the East Main Podcast. This is your host, Brian Brodeur. Thank you for joining me. Well, for people who work in and around the recording industry, each year, the third weekend of January could only mean one thing, the annual pilgrimage to Anaheim, California for the NAMM show. NAMM, N-A-M-M, stands for National Association of Music Merchants, and their annual trade show brings together music equipment manufacturers, publishers, and music professionals to meet up, hang out, and check out all of the latest gear and releases for the coming year. Well, with the COVID-19 pandemic, like many other trade shows, NAM has gone virtual in 2021, but eventually it will be back, and I'm sure better than ever. So in celebration of the NAM show, this episode of the East Main podcast features part of my conversation with musician, composer, producer Mike Keneally, originally recorded for Tap Into TV. Mike is known for his work with Frank Zappa, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Andy Partridge, Kevin Gilbert, Scott Shore, Devin Townsend, and more. Mike's a great guy, a fabulous musician, and the NAMM show has always been an annual opportunity for me to hang with him and catch up on all of his latest projects. But that won't be happening this year, so here's a portion of my conversation from April of 2020 with Mike Keneally. It is my absolute pleasure to be joined today by one of the world's finest musicians, Mike Keneally. Mike, thank you for joining me. Golly, Brian, thank you. My pleasure, and thanks for that intro. You and I have, have known each other for a few years. Uh, we've done some work together. Let me qualify that as my team was lucky to work on some DVDs for some albums, some CDs you've put out in the past, and I'm very grateful for that. As I and, and Scott Chatfield, we're very grateful for your, your help on those projects. Shout out to Scott Chatfield and the Chatfield Manor, of course. So, I mean, I love looking back at that stuff, but I went back and looked to the first day that we ever met and the first time I ever saw you live, which was April 12th, 1996, at, to quote you, your suckiest show of the tour <laughs> in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, back in the day supporting, uh, I believe it was... Was it still hat or was Boyle that Dustbeck out by that time? Uh, God, I can't remember what month Dustbeck came out, but it was definitely that era. We were probably, you know, certainly we were playing Dustbeck material. More than likely the album was available. It was probably on the merch stand. Frank Briggs on drums, the great Brian Beller, longtime collaborator with you on bass. Um, yeah, it was 96, unquestionably, uh, that, yeah, Dustbeck was out. So we, were, we weren't really supporting anything. We were just trying to play gigs sure. <laughs> because it had been out two years at that point. Which we always laugh because you may describe it as the, the suckiest show on the tour, but you ripped our heads off and we loved it and we got to meet you, which, uh, which really started a long journey of myself and, and my friends following your music. So listen, you've played with a ton of people starting uh, really getting on the map with uh, being in Frank Zappa's last touring band. Right. And uh, you've played with incredible people like Joe Satriani, recently Devin Townsend. Would you give me a little retrospective of your career? We'll talk about some of your, your solo records, your own music very shortly, but give me a little retrospective, please. Well, certainly, uh, in terms of anyone being aware of me or, or what I do, uh, Frank Zappa was was the first thing that that thrust me into any kind of spotlight, which is a, a pretty unbelievable way to to start a career because he was who I grew up idolizing from the time that I was nine. 
and I was a, a music freak from the time that I was four or five, but I was obsessed with Frank and that's where it started. So still blows my mind to, to, to this day that that's the case. So that was 1988. And then I stayed involved in the Zappa orbit and until around the mid nineties through projects with the Zappa family and being in Dweezil and Ahmed's band Z for, for a number of years too. In the mid nineties, 96, uh, I joined Steve Vai's band, uh, played with him in, until the early two thousands, just focused on solo work for a few years. And, and until I, uh, joined this, this, uh, band Death Clock, which is sure. an outgrowth of the, the adult swim show, uh, Metalocalypse, mm-hmm. which was amazingly fun. We did some, uh, you know, ridiculous tours, uh, with Mastodon and other groups mm-hmm. just having such a good time. And while I was in Death Clock, Joe Satriani came calling. We had known each other from when I was in Steve Vai's band and we were touring together. Steve and Joe's bands were touring on these G3 package tours. So ended up uh, joining Joe's band and and recording and touring with him uh, for nine years. And then just last year started uh, touring with Devin Townsend uh, because I co-produced his most recent album, Empath, which is one of the things that I'm most grateful for in terms of projects that I've been involved with in in my life. I I love that album. I love working with Dev. And in fact, I was on the road with Dev when it suddenly became clear that we needed to uh, call off the the rest of the tour and just get home as as quickly as possible. So that's the thumbnail sketch, but I've worked with a lot of different bands in, in the studio, a lot of different artists worked with Robert Fripp and wrote an album with Andy Parkridge. Amazing. I'm working with, with Todd Rundgren on a, on a project now. And, and there's, there's just, you know, people that I actually literally grew up idolizing. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to me that I'm, that I'm now in this position of being able to do projects with, with people like this. You and Rundgren in a room, I, I cannot imagine the music that will come out of this. So far, we haven't actually uh, worked on anything in the same room at the same time. Hopefully at some point we will be. Wow. <laughs> I want to come back to the thought of working you know, with people that you, uh, you idolize or people that you respect. I want to come back to that. First and foremost, I did want to talk about the pandemic, uh, about the coronavirus situation we're all in right now. Uh, really, I want to ask to make sure you're okay and how you and your friends and family are doing. Uh, I am. Thank you. I, I hope you are as well. My, my wife and I are, are we're the only ones here, uh, and we're, we've been self-isolating basically since I, I got home from, from tour right. on March 12th. Right. And I've only needed to leave the house uh, maybe five or six times <laughs> since then. So uh, it, it, it's definitely been on lockdown. And, and we're staying healthy and uh, we're staying relatively sane. And I'm, uh, I'm in the process of, of piecing together a, a, a working uh, home recording rig, which I haven't had for like 10 years. And wow. I'm just like preparing to do the only thing I'm really capable of, which is make music and, and, and try to be as productive as possible during this time and, and yeah. hanging in there, you know? It's, it's an unusual situation we're in, clearly, but mm. doing my best. And so far, yeah, I, I, I describe it as hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. Let's go go backwards a little bit. So I heard specifically incredible reviews of the Devin Townsend tour, including coming to the New York area here. I think you were in Brooklyn. You know, firsthand uh, reviews of the show were you know, mind-boggling. Lots of people have tons of respect for Devin, for you, of course, but, but Empath, his new album. Kudos for that. It's amazing. 
Can you tell me a little bit about your experience being on the road and touring with, you know, a, a medium-sized band, a whole bunch of people, and then sort of watching the pandemic evolve and, and how that came down to, hey, we got to stop this. Can you describe that a little bit for me? Yeah, we started uh, rehearsals for the tour in late February. At that point, everybody was aware that coronavirus was a thing that existed. Mm -hmm. And everybody was looking at their phones every day to see what was going on. And obviously very alarmed to see what was happening in, in Italy uh, yeah. in particular. It, it, my goodness. And you know, we all had friends in Italy and we were, we were all going, what exactly is, is going well, on? Brian Beller, right? He was touring Italy at the time, right? Exactly. With his band, the Aristocrats, and, and they were fortunate compared to a lot of touring acts that that the way their routing went they only lost two gigs uh two two shows in italy that that had to be canceled but you know so they were the first people that i personally knew whose professional life was impacted in that way but it was still alarming just because of friends that i had who their daily life was impacted and and uh and their their well-being yeah. So we're on the road, uh, all East Coast stuff primarily, uh, moving into Midwest. And we're all wondering, there wasn't yet any kind of, uh, of specific restrictions in place. Yeah. But you're out there on the road and you're wondering, okay, what is proper behavior uh, with, with this happening? You're accustomed to like meeting friends on the road or fans who come up after the show and everyone's expecting at least a handshake. Some people are want a hug mm -hmm. and, and you're... It's it's there's that strange kind of period of transition where you're beginning to realize I, I think there, that a change in personal behavior is really necessary here, but it seems still a little abstract. Yeah. I would meet a friend and I would say, "Are you are you observing social distancing?" And, and meeting relatives on the road, you see your relative, you see your nephew, you you give them a hug, you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, people on the on the crew and in the band are becoming ill. They're getting sick. Devin was really really sick for for a few shows. It was affecting his voice. It was affecting his mood. Yeah. And then it was just getting tossed around the the entourage. Or one of our guitar techs, uh, our stage left guitar tech, was so sick that we actually grabbed a couch from the dressing room and put it out on stage so that he wouldn't have to walk back and forth wow. to hand us our guitars. And so he actually reclined during the show and and just like had the the guitars on the couch lined up, and we would. We had to do a guitar change. We just walked back to the couch and played off with them. Yeah. And just just to you know, back off you know, pandemic-related discussion for a second, it fit in with the, the general tenor of the tour, which was real down-home, from-the-ground-up, no-budget staging, because we had toured with a 10-piece band in Europe at the end of 2019, and lost a, a ton of money on the tour and needed to you know, strip way, way back was was forced to move to a smaller band for the U.S. tour. It was only six players rather than 10. It was a more of a stripped-down crew and no staging. In Europe, we had real fancy video screen in the back and right. you know, stage yeah. props and stuff like that, but we had no staging at all, and we didn't even have a lighting director. Hmm. We were dependent on, on each venue's uh, uh, provided lighting director. And for stagecraft, Devin went online and asked people who were going to come to the show to bring stuffed animals with them. <laughs> and three nights we had, uh, you know, the stage was just covered. And then, and then, you know, as this, the tour went on, it was just so piling up thick, you know, big four feet. Of, of stuffed animals. Kind of 1960s Garrick theater I'm feeling there. So we had a lot of stuffed animals and then we had this couch on stage with a sick guitar tech. And then, you know, even in my mind, I'm thinking as, as he's handing me a guitar, you know, this is, this is Martin. I love Martin. Yeah. He's, he's, he's our tech. 
but you know, this we're touching the same stuff like crazy and I'm playing guitar, so I can't wear gloves and I got to sing. So I don't have a mask and, and yeah. you know, all these thoughts are going through my head. Plus people on, on the crew and in the band are, are sick and I'm, we're all wondering, I hope it's just a cold. I hope maybe it's not, you know, anything worse, but you know, no one's getting tested, obviously. So you just don't know. So we're in Memphis on a night off on the way from Dallas to whatever the next show was. Mm. And we're eating in the hotel restaurant. We're staying in, uh, you know, across the street from Graceland. Yeah. And our president uh, is on TV announcing travel restrictions right. that people from the EU won't be allowed to fly in. Mm-hmm. So we're eating and we're with our, our tour manager, Paul. And he's like, we, we need to talk about this. We, this is a game changer. And we're you know, all aware of the fact that shows in the country are starting to, to be canceled. And we actually just found out that day that our, the last show of the tour, which was in San Francisco was, uh, was canceled. We, we weren't going to do the last show. Mm. And seemed likely that the, the show the night before that one, which is Los Angeles, was was likely to you know follow suit. Yeah. So we're we're seeing that that shows aren't going to be happening at the end of the tour. We're weighing the likelihood that more. This is March 11th, mm-hmm. and so we're we're right on that front line of, of of bands suddenly being confronted with. Okay, what are we what are we doing here? Yeah. And so our tour manager Paul says, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call a meeting in about four hours in the lobby, and then we're going to discuss this." And Devin was sick; he was feeling sick that night, so he stayed in his room. Mm-hmm. And so we met in the lobby, and and he said, "Okay, this is a game changer. We have a lot of people in the band. Most, the vast majority of the people in the entourage and in the band are don't live in the U.S. There's we have Canadians, we have Europeans, we have uh, several people. Uh, Diego, the keyboardist, lives in Mexico City." And he says, if there's a, a travel ban going in one direction, there's going to be a knock-on effect for travel going in the other direction. If, if there are planes that can't yep. come here, that's going to affect planes flying out as well. It, we're getting in a situation where the assured safe travel of everybody in the entourage is not going to be assured any longer. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is it morally correct mm-hmm. for us to do these shows and, and encourage people to stuff themselves. You know, all these shows are sold out. There's no such thing as distancing right. from the stage. You, there's nothing more wonderful than to see a packed uh, room. Sure. But now all of a sudden that has this other, this other aspect to it where it's more than mildly terrifying to see a packed room full of people. There's nowhere to go. So he said, we need to think about this and let's all take time to ourselves or make phone calls. If you have to just mull it over for a half hour and then we're going to get back together and we'll decide what we want to do. And so that's what we did. I called home, discussed it with Sarah. And at that point, it still seemed so, it, it was all still so fresh, still so new that I was, I was kind of in a position of, I will go with the flow. I will, you know, this is such a wonderful tour. Everybody's having such a good time. But it's like, this is uncharted territory. But I, my sense was, I'm going to see wh- where this goes because I'm, I'm not going to stand in anybody's way. If everybody in the band said, yeah, we need to do the rest of this tour, or if everybody in the band said, no way, we got to get out of here, I was going to just support whatever that direction was. So we got back and... You know, everybody is, is very silent, very, uh, you know, just, you, everybody's being very thoughtful. And then Paul began to present his concerns about the travel aspect. But ultimately, you know, the question we really need to ask ourselves is, 
is it right for us to do these shows? Yeah. And our bass player, Nathan, who is very upstanding, very straight ahead guy, he says, I really honestly don't think that it, that it is right for us to do these shows. And then that led to a, you know, a, a conversation where various people aired their feelings about it. And when Paul asked me, I just said, all I know is that if any one of us, in this case, Nathan was the, the first one to give voice to it. Anybody who, who feels very strongly about this, uh, there's no way I'm going to uh, attempt to dissuade them from that strongly held position. Sure. I, I love Nathan. Not to like put him on the spot or, or anything like that and, and say he's calling the shots for the rest of us. This is just the way I feel. If anybody feels we shouldn't be doing this, there's no way I'm going to make them. Right. Uh, just just because I'm a go with the flow kind of guy. And in a situation like this, I was I didn't trust my my own feelings on the situation. Sure. You know, what what if I had said, no, man, we should really do these shows. And then it becomes clear three days later that it's the, the worst thing we could possibly do. Yeah. And also, as soon as as Nathan said, I really don't think it's right to do these shows. I, I saw the clarity and the truth in that. This mm-hmm. is this is a very new situation. Yeah. I've never had to face a situation like this before. No. So I, I need to like realize that it's time for me to uh, adjust my thinking. This is a paradigm shift. Yeah. This is a, a new event in our lives. Yeah. Pretty much right at that moment is when Devin came down from his room and said the exact same thing. He, he said, you know, I've just been up there thinking about this. He's going to lose more money. You know, this was the tour that was going to help pay for the money he lost on the last tour. Ugh. The shows are incredibly well received. They're all sold out. Reviews yeah. are fantastic. It's going to really hurt for him to, to stop this tour. But he said it just kept coming back to, I really don't think this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And the moment I, I just divorced myself from all other concerns, I realized, yes, that's absolutely true. I don't feel good about it. We have to stop. So this was this was March 11th, the night that mm-hmm. that the travel ban on the EU was announced. Sure. Um, about 11 o'clock at night, and Paul says, "All right, well, I'm going to be up for the rest of the night and booking flights, and I'm just going to try to get everybody home as quickly as possible." Yep. So this is 11 o'clock at I think four o'clock, five hours later, we drove the bus back. No, I didn't. We know I flew out of Memphis. Mm. I got dropped off at the airport along with Devin and, and two other members of the entourage who were all flying to Dallas and then from there flying to other respective places. So wow. basically five hours from when we decided that we had to stop the tour, I was in the airport and then at 6 a.m. I was flying home. Wow. And then, you know, in the in the, the next two, three days, all tours were being called off. You know, yeah. it, it suddenly became clear that, you know, this is a hard choice that everybody was making. And then we started just seeing the numbers start to, to roll and and, and uh, casualties build. And, and the day after I got home, we went we went shopping at, at a grocery store with without masks on. And that was the last time I've been in, out in public without a mask. You know, it's, it's basically from March 13th on, we realized, OK, this is this is happening. <laughs> and that's the same here. On March 13th, we sent all of our studio staff remote and like you. I haven't really been amongst any public without a mask, yeah. I wanted to segue, you're talking about tours being postponed and canceled. Um, You, of course, were slated to be in uh, the Zappa band that was going to be touring with King Crimson. Um, Could you tell me about that potential project? This is an outgrowth of a tour that we did last year, which was called The Bizarre World of Frank Zappa, Mm -hmm. which is the the controversial hologram tour, if anybody 
managed to bravely bear the the controversy and just go to the show, uh, they would have seen that it was a delightful evening of entertainment that I firmly believe Frank would have gotten a huge kick out of. And it was was a powerful, emotional night of music. We put together a band of mostly ex-Zappa musicians to play along with recordings of Frank and these outrageous visuals, which were not just a a hologram of Frank, but all kinds of craziness. That Amit Zappa uh, basically was the creative mastermind behind all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we did that show in, in in the U.S. and Europe last year, really well received, but outrageously expensive to move around, just technologically uh, really daunting. But us in the band wanted to keep playing, you know, it's, it's like we were really having a good time playing Frank's music. And it, for me, it was a real pleasure to play with some guys who, in many cases, I had not played with mm. since the actual Frank Zappa tour in 1988. So. Yeah. To be able to to re-team up with these incredible musicians and play this music that we all love so much, yeah. it was just, we had to keep going. So we started doing club dates just in California, and Amit came to the shows and sang with us on, on a couple of occasions. He got up on stage with us at the Whiskey, and, and it was so it's like, yeah. all right, you know, he realized, you know, this is something that can really work as a going concern. It doesn't have to be attached to this crazy technology. Mm. Let's just put you guys on the road. And we're like, all right, we're, we're down. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. And through some fortuitous circumstances, we managed to land this, this gig opening for King Crimson, which would have been incredible and will still be incredible. We've rebooked the shows basically the exact same dates a year later. So next year will still be the Zappa Band opening for King Crimson. And that's really something, you know, that's the kind of light at the end of the tunnel that keeps you going. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, the, the word on the street, the buzz about the hologram tour was wow. But the progressive rock community really was a buzz about this connection between Crimson, which has just continued to evolve and has had members of Frank's band, you know, like Adrian, Adrian Ballou as such, but that incredible band combined with, you know, the bizarre world of Frank Zappa band, you know, the Zappa alum, I guess we can call it, right? The progressive rock or the progressive community and music fans in general were, you know, really looking forward to that. So I'm sure next summer that's going to be off the hook and and we too are looking forward to it. Well, I mean, it, it was going to be great already, right? It's, it's already going to be an amazing show. What what can you do other than cross your fingers that everything will fall into place uh, in terms of the safety of the citizenry? Yeah. And when we come out of this phase, it's going to be unbelievable to be able to go to shows again and and to be able to play shows again in some ways i expect the upcoming shows which i do firmly believe at some point in our lives we'll be able to play shows again the emotional impact of it is in itself is going to be off the charts and i think that that's going to add this amazing component when we're finally able to do that tour Thanks for listening to the East Main Podcast. That was just a portion of my 90-minute conversation with producer-composer-musician Mike Keneally from April of 2020. In the next episode of the East Main Podcast, I speak to Mike about his latest duo project with Scott Shore, entitled MFTJ. Their debut collaboration dropped last year, and they just came out with a new release entitled My Mom's Getting a Horse. So thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a good rating. This is Brian Brodeur signing off. Until next time, please stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.